0: I'm Amarachi Crystal, and you're listening to Live by Amarachi podcast, where I and my guests share our life experiences and inform you from an analytical and mental health perspective. Make sure you subscribe so you can stay up to date with new episodes I upload. Subscriptions are now on a monthly basis for as low as $0.99 per month to as high as $9.99 per month. Donations are also welcome through the support link on Linktree and Cash App. If you cannot financially support, share the podcast with your community to grow the podcast listenership. Don't forget to leave a comment or review and a voice message that can be highlighted on an episode. All subscriptions, donations, voice messages, and episode links will be in the show notes. Hello, hello, I am back. (laughs) I'm actually recording in bed right now because it's just the place where I just feel most comfortable these days. So I just said, you know what? I have my mic, I have my laptop. Let me just record in bed where I'm comfortable and where I could really just, you know, relax. (laughs) That's been what I've been doing since the last episode. Well, yeah, pretty much since the last episode, I've just been trying to find time to sort of relax and just be with myself and honor my body, honor my mind and not try to overexert myself because I feel like I've been doing that, just trying to be present for everyone else and not really present with myself. But as we start this always is how are you feeling today? And today specifically, I'm feeling better, Um, definitely better than last week. I just was just exhausted. I was exhausted mentally and physically exhausted. I don't know exactly the reason, but I could only guess that the reason is PMDD. And also not a lot of things in my life right now are exactly where I would love them to be. And I've just been in my head a lot which my therapist always tells me to write things down and I know to do this I just do this but sometimes when your thoughts get too too overwhelming you tend to forget your coping your healthy coping mechanisms and for me journaling is one of them so I did a little bit of journaling um the other day Um, Like, I usually use, like, my, you know, notepad on my phone or Google Docs on my phone to journal a little bit. So I wrote a little things down. And also, another form of journaling that I use is voice recording journaling, where if I don't feel like writing, I'll just, you know, press record on my voice recorder and just speak to myself in a sense, sort of like self-talk. Um, so I did a little bit of that and I also did some decompressing exercises like meditation especially around the nighttime and another one of my go-to's is like before I go to bed I leave everything in my room and I go outside and I sit and just you know sort of self-talk as well and just take in some air between 10 and 12 I start doing this for myself which always helps me go to bed easily so I do that and I decompress doing that so I've just been taking care of myself since you guys last heard me and um and yeah so I'm feeling okay I'm not 100% but I'm optimistic as always and so long as I keep doing what I need to do to take care of myself you know and honor myself I think I'll be okay. (laughs) We're in here, we're in here, we're in here, and yes, I am still on my bed. So, if I sound a little bit relaxed, trust me, I am. This is how I prefer to feel on a daily basis just rested, rejuvenated, and relaxed. And literally, if a camera was here (laughs) filming me, you'll see me like on my side with my mic on one hand, you know, facing the laptop as if I'm sitting on a chase. Last like how I look although you know I'm propped on my bed (laughs) but yeah so we're gonna get into today's episode. Today's episode is going to be a little review I think. I have recently watched the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air reunion. I also saw a lot of you know vloggers covering it and you know considering their opinions which were very similar to mine. I also watched the Red Table Talk episode that Will Smith did with the therapist to sort of go over um, a bit of healing work he had to do during the Fresh Prince of Ballet reunion. So I'm going to speak a little bit about that and what else? I also watched another Red Table Talk um episode about why women are mean or black women. I think they more so emphasized black women. So I'm going to review that as well and basically add a bit more emphasis on this episode because I feel like TV should be a lot of this and less of the trash. Although I do watch some of the, you know, trash reality television I love to break down human dynamics. I love to break down group dynamics. I love to break all of that down. So watching reality shows sort of does that for me, as well as it entertaining me. So yeah, we're going to speak about those three shows. And also, I'm going to answer a listener question. Actually, this listener sent in three questions that were so good that I could not pass a chance at answering it on this episode. Look out for that towards the end of the reviews, and we're going to get into it. So I'm I'm going to start with the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air um, review, the reunion review. And all I have to say is it was emotional. <laughs> oh my God. Like I sort of had a idea of what uh, I'd be looking forward to, Um, but then when I watched it, I was like, wow, they are really opening up, and I mean, didn't get too deep in conversation about the dynamics that were happening, it definitely was really um, a lot of positivity, and I appreciated it, I absolutely appreciated it, just seeing, like, the, the family-ship, seeing the bond that they had. I mean, working together for six years on a show about a family, you would think you were able to build bonds with these people and build friendship. You're spending a lot of quality time with them, reviewing the script, you know, rereading the script, practicing the script. And I just have to say, like, it's so warm to see Black People on television like this. Um, I remember when Fresh Fresh Print started. I was there. I was young, um, but it was very much a highlight of my my youth. You know, years. It was very much a highlight of my youth years, and um, I just I always enjoyed it. I. To be honest, I can't really sit through it now, but if I do catch it, I'll, I absolutely will watch it because a lot of stars also showed their faces on Fresh Prince. Like, I remember when Tyra Banks was there. I remember when Jada Pickett Smith was there, you know, and to sort of see how the show was so influential to Um, Will Smith's life so influential to everyone else's life obviously not everyone on the show hit stardom the way Will Smith hit stardom but in a sense he already had stardom before he started the show being you know the rapper um but it was really really nice to kind of see everyone and also the commemoration for James Avery oh oh my jeez how sad! I remember when when he passed on, and um, they mentioned him in like you know the magazines, and I, I don't know if it was like you know E and all of that. We didn't really have vloggers at that point, but I still remember when they mentioned James Avery's um, death. So honoring him in the show that point almost got me crying as well. <laughs> you know, like watching people cry can easily get me crying. You know, and I don't mind that at all. But seeing them show their vulnerability was just really a proud moment. Uh, really, really good. Now, like onto uh, onto the drama, the drama that came with the entirety of the Fresh Prince series, the drama between Will Smith and um, his TV aunt, Aunt Viv, who goes by the name Janet Herbert. I mean, I I do remember when she sort of like disappeared, and you know, I wasn't really into that, you know, tabloids at that point. Um, of her, you know, recasting, but I definitely remember, and in my mind, I was also thinking even if she got fired or whatever the case may be, why didn't they just cast a similar part to her or at least someone who looked similar to her? Why not just cast another Black, dark-skinned woman? Because that would, for me at least, it would just seem a little bit more seamless in the transition of new character. But to cast someone who is not only lighter than her but shorter than her, it's like hello, this makes absolutely no sense. And it also I c I can't really say that it doesn't make sense in the the shade of the children because you could have two light skinned people and they could make a dark skinned child because hello, bloodline and within the, you know, black race goes in major varieties. But but it would have been a little bit more <laughs> realistic to sort of cast a dark skinned woman with a light skinned man. And have these, you know, babies of different shades and tones in your household. But they just did not cast anyone that seemed any way like Janet Herbert. Which to me, it was like, wow, you guys are really throwing a middle finger at her, you know. Um, It's nice to hear that she actually didn't get fired she just did not take the deal that they offered her for me I didn't really watch what she was saying a lot of the time I wasn't really in the mix of all of that drama I just sort of heard a little bit about it afterwards but to sort of see them come together and like really really hash it out and talk and especially for Will to really just listen to her point of view because I don't think around the time that it was going on, he was able to sort of take on her perspective of things. And it also, like, makes me think about what the producers do in these sort of cast-in shows, whether or not it's reality TV or whatever, just how they just completely miscommunicate a lot of information between cast members. Those things, like, really are... Pointing out for me a lot in all of the shows that I watch and the people who are involved, you know, Tamar Braxton, for example, Nene Leakes, for example, um, those things really like are highlighted to me. And and then recently I even watched um, an interview with Duchess from Black and Cruel and seeing her hearing her pers- perspective of how um, production handled her in the show. All of this is really like really, you know come into my awareness although I had an inkling about it before but it's really poignant now but it was anyways back to you know the reunion I was just happy that Will was able to listen to her and really hear her side of the story and really take accountability for the part that he played in her career although I will argue to say that yeah he might have spoiled her name but she was not lacking options I could see maybe options in Hollywood but I would love to hear what how she accomplished a livelihood even after you know being blackballed in a sense from Hollywood I would love to really have her story be expanded because I feel like there's a lot there. She spoke about being an unha- unhappy marriage. There's just a lot. Like we, should be, there should be like a bi- biopic, a biopic of um, Janet Herbert. That would be amazing. I just, I think she's like amazing human being. Just beautiful. Like she has not aged a glass. You know. But uh, yeah, that was the reunion part and. I was absolutely proud of them. Like, I feel like television should be about that. Even the reality shows that I do watch, I watch them go through life. I watch them ex- express a version of life. Maybe it's extravagant. Um, regardless, people do live these flashy, flashy lives. But when they get into sort of like, you know, arguments or misunderstandings within themselves, I love to watch problems being solved. So when production doesn't really amp up the fuel in resolving these problems, I get really frustrated watching those shows. Um, So it's really nice to see um, a situation that happened, even though it was maybe 27, 30 years ago, be resolved. It sort of affirms the idea that it's never too late to say you're sorry. (laughs) You know, is that a Justin Bieber song? (laughs) Probably just some Bieber song or a lyric, but yeah, it's, it's 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 honest though. It's never too late to apologize. It's never too late to make a wrong right. It's never too late. You could be at your dying bed and still apologize. That makes a huge difference within the person that is on the receiving end of that apology. But yeah, I mean, it was really great. I do recommend that you all watch the Freshmans of Bel-Air reunion. It's, it was just very nostalgic. It was just very heartwarming. It sort of brought you back to the feelings of good times, the feelings of Black, you know, excellence, like legit. It's it's Black excellent. It's a classic. It's a part of almost everyone's history, And as they were talking about, like, the studio audience, I always wanted to be a part of a studio audience of some form of a sitcom or even a talk show. So I know a lot of people who were probably on that studio audience were just like, wow, I was there. I was there. I remember when that happened. Like, I want to hear from those people To see, you know, how they felt even watching the reunion because the camera does pan into the studio of the audience a lot of the time. So just little things, little things here and there that I was just really grateful for um, when watching it. But yeah, go check it out. Go check out the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air reunion. I think it's on HBO Max. If you don't have it, borrow it for someone. Um, hey, i I even watch it on you know one of those you know pirating journals, not to promote that, but just saying we all do it. <laughs> but yeah, check that out and we'll move on to the Red Table Talk episode with Will Smith. So let's get into the Red Table Talk. I really, really appreciate the Red Table Talk for sort of creating this normalization behind having deep conversations and sharing vulnerability. When it first came on, I was like, yes, finally, a change to what we watch on television. Let's normalize talking about situations that have caused a strife in relationships, please. Let's also talk about these social norms that in my opinion, just do not work anymore. Please. <laughs> I'm just saying. Like, to have a show like this is really great. Of course, yeah, these people are human. I'm not looking up to them to, you know, save society. But they're doing their part in community healing. They're doing their part. So when um, when I watched the Fresh Prince Reunion And also saw that Will Smith took himself on the red table to speak to a therapist that has been in a few episodes of the red table talk. um, To really speak to her and dissect even more his healing work, you know. Of course, I would have loved if Janet Herbert was also there to sort of have the therapist also talk to her and talk to Will Smith at the same time. Now, that would have been TV gold when it comes down to the Red Table talk. But, you know, beggars can be choosers. (laughs) But, yeah, I was really happy that Will Smith went further into working on exactly what just happened between he and Janet Herbert to continue his healing, because I'm sure it probably beat him up like throughout the years knowing that he had this person that was looking down on him when he knew he was changing as a human being and becoming a different person than he used to be. Like they say, the lasting impressions. I always remember in a psychology class when I forgot what a philosopher or psychologist or whoever it was said this, that it's not um, first impressions that matter, it's lasting impressions that matter. I may have to look that up. But I remember when they asked us that question, what do we think about that um, theory? Is it first impressions that you hold on to longer or lasting impressions? And for me, genuinely, it's lasting impressions. I don't care what you did in the past. What are you doing today? It could be negative or positive. Whatever you did in the past is in the past. I wasn't there. I don't remember. Or even if I do remember what you did in the past, I want to see how you're behaving today in front of me in the present time. So my first impression of someone might have been awful. If I gave myself a chance to get to know them, is my opinion of them going to change? So for me, it's always lasting impressions. What impression do you leave on earth for people to remember? And that sort of became the reason why I even started to you know p- pursue my my healing and you know my trauma healing and my change of character and I just wanted to be different in the world I wanted to show up differently in the world and I didn't want to be the person that I wasn't proud of at the end of the day and also I don't want to be the person that other people see as you know being a part of their pain and you know lo and behold I know that there are a lot of people that a lot. I could probably count on one hand people that I think have a bad perception of me. But at the same time, those people did not give themselves a chance to get to know me. Anyways, back to Will Smith and the therapist. Um, They kind of dig into exactly how he was feeling about the whole situation from start to finish. And he was very expressive, you know. Um, I feel like the therapist wanted to point out that Janet Herbert, you know, laid on a lot of the blame for her career on Will Smith, but she was soft about it. She just said that, um Will Smith took a lot of punches in the way Janet Herbert was expressing her perspective, But she was also like really um honored that will, just sort of sat and took it in without being defensive. This is the key point. When someone is telling you how they hurt, it is not up to you to decide whether or not their pain is a lot or too little. It is not up to you. It's up to that person. now, in in like a general perception, I wasn't in, in their in their strife. I could look at her story and say, Girl, you can't blame him for all the crap that went on in your life after the Fresh Prince of Ballet. Like, You can't just put that all on him. You have to take a little bit of responsibility for your doing as well for the life that you wanted to lead. To lead. You have to take responsibility. You can't put all the blame for your failures in life after the Fresh Prince of Balear on Will Smith. Yes, you could put the blame on how Hollywood possibly saw you, maybe, but you always have the chance to change the perception of people by how you take on a hard fall and you rise above it. In my opinion, Janet Herbert did not rise above the failure that she had in life concerning the Fresh Prince of bel So she chose to put all the blame on Will that's her doing, that cost her 30 years of really developing as a human being, and not only as a human being, but developing her career, you know, but I get it, I understand where she's coming from, I've been in that space too, where I was throwing a lot of blame on a lot of people for hurting me, and using that blame as a comfort blanket to not move on with my life. And that's why, again, that that I mentioned that I'm doing my trauma healing through my therapy and through my other wellness, you know, wellness, you know, ways. But the therapist was really cool about it. She was really understanding of both sides. She didn't want to be too biased, although, you know, Will Smith and the Red Table Talk is very familiar with her. She did a, a great job of being very seamlessly unbiased which I appreciate because you kind of have to see both sides and you just have to make sense of it for people, you know. And it's just really nice to see uh, a Black man really, especially a Black man of his stature, really sit down and be that, you know, vulnerable and candid about the crap that he has caused in people's life and see the connection between his childhood to the way he behaves. That amount of self awareness is really commendable. Like I love seeing that in people, and I just wish a lot of people could kind of soak in that amount of self awareness in order to work on themselves. Um, but yeah, that was that was really great. That was a really great uh, red table talk episode. So we'll move on to the extra, the bonus Red Table Talk episode that I truly, truly want to talk about. This one is really important to me. But yeah, let's get into that. So we're gonna get into the second part of the not second part. What am I talking about? (laughs) We're gonna get into um, the other Red Table Talk episode that I wanted to sort of, you know, give my little opinion about, and also just bring into our awareness because I feel like although some of us may be having these sort of conversations, a lot of us need to have these conversations. We need to be able to talk about these things because they do show up in a lot of relationships that we have. Um, This episode is... Hold on, I'm trying to find the title of the episode because I don't want to mess it up. Okay. So this episode is called, Why Are Women Mean to Each Other? So we have a table of Black women. The table is pretty much filled with um, Jada Smith's mo- mother, Jada Smith herself, um, Jada Pickensmith's daughter, um, Willow Smith, obviously. I forget the grandmother's name. They call her Gammy, so I'll just call her Gammy as well. So we have the three of them, and then we have Jamil Hill Hill and Carrie Champion, who are two black female correspondents for ABC um ESPN. Um, I guess Jamil Hill used to be a correspondent, she sort of um, denounced her contract again, you know, like this is a recurrence where they offer people or especially black women in production, they offer them a lot less of a contract to where they have to leave. I feel like it's a way that they try to fire you without actually firing you. You know, your worth, they know your worth, but they will offer you the least amount of of money in your new contract in order for you to leave. So they feel as if you don't, they, they don't have blood on their hands. They did the same thing to um, Janet Herbert, like we just discussed early on with Will Smith. They did exactly the same thing to her. They offered her a lesser amount in her new contract with Fresh Prince of bel which caused her to say no because she knew she deserved more. And also she knew she had a life, a life with a new baby that also deserved more. Um, but anyways, that's not the point of this Red Table Talk episode. This Red Table Talk episode is about mean girls. Especially mean girls within the black, um, the Black culture, the Black race. And I just want you guys to listen to this before i you know further on express my thoughts about this take a listen
1: just with black women period mm-hmm. we can be so hard and cruel to one another i'm not surprised that so much of that energy Unfortunately, came from black women. It's our inability to see the humanity in each other. Yeah. We're begging the world to see us in a particular way, but we um, don't see it. But ourselves. we don't see it in each other. Yeah. We don't. And
2: what, I, it, it it is for me so frustrating and painful. Yes, that we're begging for the world to to see us in a certain manner, and we just we can't offer it for ourselves. And and my belief is that if we can't give it to ourselves, we, we never expect it we can't expect else. it. Right? I just feel like it's. It's such a a, a distance, yeah. you know, between being a black woman and, and her self-love. There's, mm-hmm. there's this big chasm between the yes. two. You know what I mean?
1: And a lot of it is the way we've been socialized. And some of it is the way we've been socialized in our own home. Yeah. Is that, honestly, some of our mothers have been really responsible for the toxic relationships we have with other women. It's like how we hear our mothers talk about other black women. Don't mm-hmm. trust her, mm-hmm. she ain't this and that. Like we'll hear them have a full-scale conversation yeah. with another black woman. That's their friend. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as they get off the phone,
0: they, they will call it. They else. call somebody else yeah. and, and we'll, talking yeah. about yeah. the person they just hung up What was that shot
1: from Friday? Right <laughs> 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 hey, yeah. OK. Like, it would be, <laughs> we see it, yeah. right? And then we take those lessons of mistrust that are bred in our own home, and then when we get yeah. out in the world and we're looking at another black woman and instead of celebrating her, finding something great about her, we'll be like, mm, she thinks she's cute with them shoes on. Uh, What about this? What about that?
3: I think it's how we're loved. Like, I know for me, not having a father around really is hard for me to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. It's hard for me to love you and and trust you and be around you and say who I am and love myself because I think a lot of the times the women I see who have self-love had a father around to remind them and love them Mm and their first lessons of beauty.
2: Those of us who had to grow up without a father, but we grow up in violent neighborhoods and we have to put up these walls and this armor and then you click up with a group of girls and then you end up you know, you get betrayed. We come from so many worlds of mistrust and and trauma that it makes it very difficult.
1: It's how we've all been taught. Eventually the oppressed begin to take on the traits of the oppressor and that is, That's where we're mirroring the patriarchy and the sexism and the misogyny and all of that that we have to deal with. We're just turning it on each other. And unfortunately, we've been conditioned this way for so long. We literally spend a lot of time unlearning. That is my biggest piece of advice to people out there is that if you want to be different, if you want to be the change you want to see, as they say, you have to unlearn, Yeah. Okay. And you have to be willing to be self-aware enough to know where you're vulnerable, where your, your most pettiest. is. Yes, <laughs> yes. You have to be realistic about the ugly. <laughs> that's, insane. That's, insane. that's the only way. Right.
0: So much golden verbiage just spilled in that little clip. I just, uh, as soon as I heard that, I'm like, yes, 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 yes. Just agreeing to every little um, piece of, Every little word that they said is hilarious because I just had a conversation with my mother last night. Actually, yesterday afternoon. This conversation obviously was really needed. Um, but I had a conversation with her. We speak, We pretty much speak a, a lot about everything. And um, towards the end of our conversation, we were just speaking about the situations that we grew up in. Um, our upbringing was not of a healthy one. And all of these things um, sort of accumulated into, in a sense, I will have to say a bit of, you know, distrust, mistrust, uh, misunderstandings, not being able to build relationships outside of the home. Um, Especially for me, I'll speak for myself. I, I, of course I had friendships, but I always had a hard time with friendships. I possibly still do have a hard time with friendships today, you know, with especially keeping people in my life that hurt me or show me a side of them that I just cannot deal with, you know, if trigger me in a sense, you know, people who trigger me in a sense, I just sort of, I'm so quick to say F you, F that, get out of my life really, really quick. Um, even with romantic relationship, this trickles down into that. But we're gonna focus on, you know, mean girl, you know, situations. I pretty much grew up with a mom that just did not trust friendships. She always had an issue when I would go over at a friend's house. She always had issues with um, even me just sleeping over someone's house was a big deal. I grew up hearing you and your friends, you and your friends, when you have your family, when you have your family. And in my perception, I'm like, but do I really have my family though? Can I really be myself and talk to my people in my household the way I could be myself and talk to my friends? No, I didn't have that. I never felt safe at home, to be honest. Um, I always felt like I had to perform you know, I couldn't just be myself and be accepted. I was, I, I, felt harshly judged. I just was not really being accepted. So if I have this relationship at home with my mother where I'm not accepted, how am I then supposed to view the world outside of me and feel like the world is also going to accept me? When at home, I have none of that. If I don't feel safe at home, how else would I find or Rely or want for safety from the outside world. Now, as they say, the one relationship that we have are the first relationships that we have are the ones that we have at home. They predict the relationships that we're going to have outside, unless, you know, obviously we smarten up and see that some relationships that we have are at home are not healthy. And we kind of see the effects that is going on outside of our home where we're also attracting unhealthy relationships and then we you know work on changing that obviously, I never realized the connection when I was younger. I you know completely didn't know that they they related to one another uh, but as soon as I started to realize that, I started to sort of change my ways um. Even growing up, I always felt like, you know, having girlfriends, having friends in general, I have both guys and girlfriends, you know, I never really discriminated on um, gender of my friendships. Anyone that I got along with, I had fun with, you know, I made my friend. But there was a lot of mean-spiritedness, you know, growing up. I'm trying to think of instances where I was also mean-spirited towards another woman, like judgmental in a sense to other people um my first instinct always is never to judge people unless they do something to me for me to judge them on so i kind of led with that growing up i was i wasn't as open to receiving friendships. still i would tell you you know especially i remember um one girl told me in high school after we both left high school obviously today we're really cool you know and she remembered telling me when I arrived her on a train station one day, and she ends up telling me that she always wanted to be my friend in high school, but I just looked like, you know, I didn't want to be messed with. I sort of had a rest bitch face in high school. I was, in a sense, a very i I'm, I'm I'm already somewhat of a stoic person. You can really look at me and read how I feel, unless I express it, obviously. But, for the most part in high school, I was just not happy you know um i was I coined myself a loner, although I did have friends. I sort of just did my own thing. I didn't really like I wasn't like susceptible to you know peer pressure like that in high school i I was very narrow minded I just wanted to get through the school year, go to college, and ultimately, in the back of my mind find freedom for my family that's kind of what my my you know my target was in high school so having like frivolous friendships were not at my at the top of my list the people that I hung out with I hung out with and I stuck to those people you know making new friends if 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 the window opened I would have but I, it wasn't my priority but I did tell her I was like damn you, you should have said something in high school because I would have totally hung out with you like it wasn't a big deal, you know, but I, I I could get why she didn't feel safe to approach me because I was not approachable. I had my guard up. I did definitely have like the strong demeanor, this sort of like don't fuck with me demeanor, um, which in retrospect also kept a lot of connections that I would have had with other people. They kept a lot of like connections that I would have had with really cool people. Um, that I thought they were cool in high school. I had a guard up. I had an immense guard up. Home life was not kind to me. So I didn't really show that kindness outside, to be honest. You know, I didn't really show the approachableness, you know, outside. Um, but yeah, like just the way you grow up definitely has an effect on on your relationships you have outside. And it has an effect on how you see other people, too, outside of your house. In this case, that mean girl mentality, although I never really, you know, contributed to that, I just didn't say much to people, to be honest. I just kept my mouth shut a lot of the time. Um, If I had an opinion that I would speak up, but for the most part, I didn't really engage with a lot of people, you know, of course, like... Of course, after high school, I became a lot more of a social butterfly. <laughs> I tell you that. But it it didn't change the relationships I had with with girls. It didn't change the relationships I had with girls. You know, growing up with a mom that just did not trust a lot of people, I I can say right now I sort of adopted that. You know, although I came up with like, I'll give you a hundred percent. Although I had that mentality, I didn't completely embody that mentality of really being open and wanton. A lot of my female relationships, like outside of the household, female friendships, um, had a lot of turbulence. I, I have two instances um, that really, really stuck, like are still stuck within me. You know one friendship, where you know on our way to fixing it, the other friendship I had to finally let go of this year because I'm like there's no there's no growth there, there's no growth there, and for me to continuously go back to someone that just not that is showing me that they don't wanna grow with me, I just have to let that friendship go um i left, actually I left two friendships this year, you know um maybe three. <laughs> but two friendships with women this year, I loved. But yeah, I also want to share. I also want to share another clip with you guys um from the Red Table Talk conversation. Obviously, you could check the Red Table Talk on Facebook. Just type in Red Table Talk, and then you'll see videos, especially this one. But I'll play this clip for you guys, and then share my opinion afterwards.
2: For me, I knew that. She's going to have it twice as hard. Yeah. I needed you to be strong because mm-hmm. I know what this world is like for us as black women.
1: But it works it works because both ways. Because whatever is your greatest strength is also your greatest weakness, yeah. right? For sure. And so what happens is, as mothers do, they have to protect us from all things that we're not even thinking about. But when you drill that down, yeah. is that mm. we then, we are not only internalize it, but we're going to take that and do that to each other, right, thinking yeah. they have to harden us yeah. for the world. Yeah. And then we're never able to be vulnerable with each other, yeah. right? Yeah. Yes. It comes right yeah. yeah. we are going back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're like, straight on back. <laughs> I just had a light bulb
0: moment. <laughs> I just had
2: a light bulb moment because it's the same damn thing. So, my fear mm-hmm. for having a black daughter and what I felt like she needed to be in this world put me in a position to be a little harder on her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm and that's probably how we are with each other. It's real, it's, no, it's, it's a, a real, real. deal, it's, it's a real deal. Yeah. Most of us are
1: raised with a, a level of harshness that sets the expectation. Yes. And that's yes. why we're so hard on each other because in our own home, we heard. That's all we know. Yeah, like, you wearing that, don't wear that because mm-hmm. this kind of thing's happen to people who wear that, like all yes. those things that we wind up repeating.
0: Mm-hmm. And people would tell me, people would be like,
2: they'd be like, oh my gosh, like why are you being so mean? And I'm like, you think this is mean?
3: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I think that women have to, this is so hard to do because we're so trained and socialized so differently. But we have to throw that all out the window and and forget every single thing that we have been taught and be willing to be uncomfortable with one another.
2: Yes.
3: Because that's the only time that you really see any significant change. Everything in my spirit told me that she was great, but I was so uncomfortable being vulnerable and open and allowing her to be my friend. When I had to be willing to get out of that, and I still struggle with it to this day. Yeah, because um, yeah, it is a
2: risk. It's a yeah. risk. It, and it's I a risk. You can't deny that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's yeah. a risk, it's and a you do have risk. to allow yourself an opportunity to get to know the women around you. As women, we have to have more responsibility in regards of how we take care of one another. But at the same time, what we're asking men to do, we need to do the same thing yes. for ourselves, yes. as far as respecting one another, yes. you know, and, and caring for one another in a certain manner. What she taught me was to hold the door open. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know how
3: to do that.
0: Mm -hmm. So here I
3: am as a grown-ass adult, just now learning how to hold hold the the door door open. Wow.
0: Oh man, this episode just spoke to my heart. It spoke to my heart. Um, The one thing that also stuck out for me was when I think Jada was the one that said, um, there's a, a distance between uh, black women and our self care. That part absolutely stuck out to me because in the conversation I was having with my mother about how we were raised, and you know, me and my siblings, how we were raised, and also how she was raised, you know, um, and the the sort of things that trickled down onto her own life with her children. And what I'm trying to stop to trickle down with my life, and who knows if I'll have children, but most likely will, um, pretty much stopping the cycle. Um, the one thing is, we just never took care of ourselves. My mother worked hard. She worked hard. I, I, you know, commend her for working hard. I get a lot of her um, work hard mentality. You know, although. Um, I'm trying to switch that by creating a lot more rest in my life than just hustle and bustle. Um, She worked hard for us, but she provided for us. And it's funny because I also had this conversation with my brother about the providing part of parenting and how, yeah, you provide. They have everything now. What else are you able to give them? Can you not give them softness, kindness, compassion, love, you know? And obviously a lot of parents grew up in, like my mom grew up in a situation where she didn't have a lot of those, you know, kindness, compassion, love. Um, neglect plays a, a lot in her childhood. Feeling neglected plays a lot in her childhood. And I would have to, I actually looked at her and said, you felt that in your childhood. Mom, what do you think I felt in mine? You know, I also felt neglected especially emotionally. Yes, I may have had roof over my head. Yes, I may have had food to eat, which, which are something that should already be given and not something that should be expected. So I can't sit here and say, thank you for feeding me, mom, because hello, I'm a child. How else am I supposed to feed myself? I need to be able to say, thank you for showing me love, mom, because a lot of parents don't do that. You know, and I can't say that I could say that to her. You know, at this point, yeah, we're building our relationship, which is also helping me build relationships outside. The healing work that I'm doing is generally helping me strengthen the relationship I have with myself and the relationship I have with other people outside of me. And that that's just important. And it comes with a lot of self-care my self-care is going through therapy. That is my top, top version of self-care is going through to, to therapy. And then what I do in between therapy to add to my self-care, to add, to pour more love into myself is just a secondary version, like meditation, like hanging out with friends, like having conversations like these with my mom, like you know, having this podcast, creating my art, all of those are secondary to my self-care. But my main self-care is going to therapy and, you know, working on healing. You know, working on healing is my self-care. I, I just hope that it helps me, you know, build stronger relationships with the friends that I do have and open up to new friendships because I will admit that I'm not... <laughs> I'm not so open to new people right now, um, because I'm still working on healing from past disappointments in friendship, past disappointments, in relationships and all of that stuff, and the continual you know generational family trauma. you know, I'm working on all of that, and I want to be more intentional about the connections I make with people outside of myself, um especially my connection with women. Because as a woman, I can, if I'm proud of myself, I have to be proud about the next woman near me. And I fight for, you know, women all day. It pours and shows in my art. I only make sure I, and and it, it sort of comes natural to me anyway. But I'm being a lot more intentional about representing um, black women in my art, I make it a note that I do black women art i I call it black feminist art because I not only show beautiful photos, I also express a little bit of social you know issues um surrounding women and black women, especially in my art as well and black girls never forget them they are little women in in growing. But, yeah, this episode was just super beautiful, super beautiful. I'm so grateful for it. And I just hope maybe soon I will sit and really talk um, to other women to continue to have this conversation be a part of our narrative. And um, especially our, our narrative for change, you know. But, yeah, go check it out, man, guys. Go check it out. It's wonderful. It's great. and um, we'll move on to the next segment. So our last segment is listener questions. So one of our listeners, her name is Aisha. She sent in three questions um, about her life. She wants some insight on life as an artist, um, insight on a friendship that might be ending, and also insight on a relationship with her significant other. So let's get into her questions. Her first question goes, how do you move on from the jarring end of an important friendship? Especially if you know that you were growing apart and had different values, but they meant a lot to you and you still miss the happy and intimate moments you had with them. This is always a tough one because no one likes to lose any important person in their life, but loss is something I feel we have to come to terms with. Nothing lasts forever, especially not in any form of relationship. It could be growing apart in two different directions or a big disagreement that can end a friendship. The main thing I will have to say is you can always honor the friendship by celebrating the beautiful part and seeing what you've learned from your about yourself being close close friends with this person. Um, You can honor how the friendship made you a different person, especially the positive sides of you. Even if a friendship doesn't end well, there is still a lot we learn about ourselves from experiencing a human being in our lives. Celebrate those parts. Also, recognize and accept that you both are growing or have just grown apart and it isn't a situation that should be springing up animosity or resentment, people do tend to meet for a reason and a season. Maybe this friend was in your life for a reason, and that reason might be for you to recognize your values and to uphold your values more. And if this friend of yours has a different value system than yourself, it isn't your fault or the friend's fault for the ending of your friendship. So have more compassion for yourself and I'd say more pride in yourself that you're able to build a value system and honor it by not letting just anyone who crosses that value system in your life, whether you have history with them or not. History doesn't always require longevity, especially if you're, an, on, if you're on polar sides a lot of views in life. So celebrate it by just celebrating the growth you established in that friendship. Yeah, just celebrate you. You had good and, and fabulous times with this person. You were able to bond with this person. So celebrate those moments. So celebrate those little points of accomplishment. Because, you know, especially as as I was speaking earlier, you know, not a lot of people are willing and open to form true bonds with people. So when we have the chance to do that, we want to be able to honor those experiences, um, even if they end in an ending, you know. Um, I hope that helped. And I'll move on to your next two questions. Aisha's second question is how does one create diligence and discipline in their artistic process? I struggle with carving out time to make art and keep it a consistent practice while I juggle other things in life. Whenever I do have time, I'm tired and it's hard to stay focused. I want to learn how to work through the exhaustion and keep it a daily practice if possible. So with this question, I'd first ask, I'd first have to ask, what is taking up more of your time and is it possible to cut down the amount of time you're given to that? Of course, priority is key here and more so a clear mind is also necessary. If you're overextending your energy, prioritizing time alone can be of help here. Time alone always brings a clearer mind to be able to step back from life's routine to see where you can take things out of or fit things into your schedule. As a creative person myself, when I feel pulled all over the place, I start to say no to a lot of things that aren't serving my basic necessities, like being able to feed and clothe myself. So if that means not seeing or talking to friends for a couple of weeks just so I could focus on myself, I'd have to do that. No one likes feeling ignored or posted. So obviously I'm going to be open and honest and communicate to my friends and you know family sometimes by saying something like, guys, I'm going to lay low for X amount of time just to clear my mind because I'm all fogged up and need to work on some art. So I'd advise to prioritize yourself and your art and limit all other distractions. Um, obviously not work because work brings an in income in order for you to sustain a, a roof over your head and food in your stomach and clothes on your back. So those are the necessities. If you focus solely on those necessities and sort of remove a lot of the other distractions that might be in your life, whether it's cutting down time with hanging out with certain friends that at the end of, the end of it, you come home feeling exhausted, um, do so whether or not is taking advantage of vacation time at work and time that you um, can take off at work, do that. I'd absolutely advise that. And and more so prioritize rest as well. Um, you can set timers for yourself to go to sleep earlier, you know, change up a routine that you do um, that might be adding to the exhaustion um, in your days. Um there's a lot of different ways, you know, to do this. Um, you could even get an art therapist to help you out to sort of push a lot of those creative things that are probably blocked off because you're so exhausted, to push, so, so push them in the foreground. I personally see a therapist who's also an art therapist. Um, we don't do a lot of like art therapy work, but we do a lot more talk therapy, which also, and that and also speak about my art, obviously, but those things helped me kind of push all of the distractions out of my head just so I'm able to focus on my art. Um, one thing that really allowed me to focus on my art is my rest time. During this COVID period, I was able to really, really sit and really focus uh, on my art because I mean, there's nothing else we can do, right? So I was able to do that. And also in other you know ventures of mine, but. I was definitely able to focus and produce art, um, which I do have new art to kind of premiere, but having that time to kind of just sit on my own and just pour into my art really helped. And one of the advice also my therapist gave me was to just create art for fun. Don't create art for anything, whether, like, I think we forget at times that we used to always doodle on everything. I used to doodle in a Bible, (laughs) you know? So um, if you just allow yourself to just doodle, that might also help you clear out some of the blockage and gain a lot more inspiration in order to pour into your art. So I do hope this helps you out. And, you know, good luck. Good luck because as an artist, as a creative art, creative person in general, I know exactly how it feels to have like artist block. It is not, <laughs> it is not fun at all. I hope that helps out and I'll move on to your last question. So Aisha's last question goes... How does one carve time in their life for prioritizing privacy and solitude while in a relationship with a partner that you cohabitate with? I'm a capricious introvert with a very loving and extroverted partner and sometimes struggle with explaining how much solitude means for me, for my mental health, without hurting their feelings. If the way you're communicating your needs aren't being heard, maybe try a different style of communicating. Um, I always feel as though letting people know what you're going to do ahead of time helps remove the anticipation they may have when it's impromptu. With this one, I'd say... Like, for example, letting them know ahead of time by saying something like, babe, I know quality time means a lot to you, and it probably means as much to you as me having alone time. So what I'm going to do is take these two days for me, and these other days are for us to do whatever we want together. Also, reassuring them that just because you are taking your alone time, it doesn't mean you aren't thinking of them or miss them. You are, but your alone time has everything to do with your connecting with yourself, so that you're able to give them more of your energy. Putting that into perspective for them might help because sometimes, when people feel like you're you're not wanting to spend time, they can take it personally and find it really hard to differentiate between someone wanting alone time and spending time with them. So clarifying that with them might sort of help them see it differently. Um, and and on another note, if your partner has dependency issues, maybe they need to speak to a professional to get um, that into balance, especially if their dependency issues are turning a bit into codependency, which isn't at all healthy for both of you. So if your partner, you know, wants to sort of check in with themselves to see whether or not they may be dealing with a bit of codependency issues, maybe that will help alleviate a lot of the the stress and tension when you ask them for a long time because for me personally i don't see anything wrong with wanting a little bit of privacy and solitude to yourself in a relationship relationship and i don't mean privacy in the sense of you're keeping secrets but just wanting to be in a private space by yourself to do what you feel nurtures you you know i don't see anything wrong with that um that shouldn't be seen as a takeaway from them and the time that you spend with them. I feel like it should be seen as an addition to your relationship because if you are a hundred percent and your way of gaining a hundred percent within yourself is to spend time alone, your partner should be able to support it without any form of a struggle. Um, But if it's a part of you that also feels hyper guilty Um, Even if they are okay with you spending time alone, you still feel hyper guilty for wanting to spend time alone. Maybe also work on the guilt that you feel for the time you're spending alone, because maybe you need to also differentiate between time alone and time away from them because they're not one and the same. You know, wanting to spend time by yourself shouldn't take away from the, the relationship, in a sense, it shouldn't take away from the relationship. So maybe work on a little bit of the guilt that you feel, the struggle that it makes you have as well, um, especially if your partner is saying, okay, it's fine, um, but you still are feeling a, a, a tension in the air you know, that they may not be completely okay with it. You sort of have to just honor yourself and say, I need this and I'm going to do this. Because if I don't get this time alone, I'm going to explode. You know, like that form of reassurance as well to yourself, the self talk to yourself is honoring your truth and honoring your own ways of processing. So, um, yeah, work on that a little bit, too, as well, because those two things are necessary. I mean, these situations are going to, you know, come to surface when, you know, anyone is really cohabitating. Um, I cohabitate with my family sometimes, and I'm just like, do not talk to me today. (laughs) I will let them know, like, today I do not want to be bothered. So please, guys, just chill, (laughs) chill on that. So communication is key, you know, and honoring yourself is key and being honest with yourself. The more honest you are with yourself and the more honest your partner is with themselves, you guys will be able to sort of freely communicate without struggle or guilt. You know, obviously something may feel bad, but having that understanding and that differentiation between what you want and they, what they want and what is um doing to the relationship, having a bit of differentiation will help you guys sort of understand and not, you know, feel bad for doing the things that you're doing. But I wish you guys luck. I wish you guys luck. And I hope that helped. I hope that helped. So that is it for today's episode. Oh, my God. I kept you guys here for a while. We're not going to have any quotes because I feel like a lot of quotes have been sort of given to this this episode, honestly. But, um, but yeah, I will check you guys next week. Thank you so much for listening and sharing space with me today. And remember to take care of yourself and your mental health because you all deserve it.